Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners, Sarah Box, your host, and I'm excited to introduce you to David Wood, this week's guest on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. David brings a pretty unique background with him, and after having read his information and done a little poking around on my own, um, I have questions. But first, let me share with you that he started life as a consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies on Park Avenue. Then he went on to build the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for life coaching and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. That is no small accomplishment. Then he has gone on to coach high-performing entrepreneurs, executive teams, and now he works with prison inmates to create amazing results and deep connection. And he's known for being the tough conversation guy. So David, with that as a brief introduction, before we go into our, our different conversation, talk a little bit about your journey and how you went through that arc to land where you are currently. Sure. And thanks for having me on the show, Sarah. I, I was a consulting actuary. And for people who don't know what that is, it's a bit of a rare profession. I was good at math. So I, I became an actuary because I heard it was harder than becoming an accountant. And we work with statistics and long-term financial projections, calculate insurance premiums. And I was assessing risk for Fortune 100 companies based in New York. And that was good. That was kind of fun. And I felt important when I'd go to Chanel and Sony Music and they'd fly me to Switzerland. I'm like, oh, this is really good. But someone suggested a, a personal growth course for me because I wasn't happy in my marriage. So I went and did the course, even though they smiled way too much and they're all wearing name tags. And I thought people who did self-help were weak-willed people who just couldn't handle stuff on their own, which is ironic because the name is self-help. But still, I did it and they cracked open my cynicism and I realized that these people really cared about the world. and. I couldn't stop coaching people in the course. This, this woman told me that she had a, an, a, that her husband had an affair 10 years ago and she'd been using that to keep him under the thumb for 10 years and keep control of him. Then she told me that she had an affair 10 years earlier, but she hadn't told him that piece of information. So I got to coach her. And um, within three days, she transformed her whole marriage. She confessed risked her marriage, and she said they felt like they were floating 10 feet above the ground the whole weekend in love. And I was hooked. Like, this is really good stuff. So I quit my job as a consulting actuary, went back to Australia, and I had a brief stint. I thought, well, when you quit your job, you should do stuff you can't do when you have a job. So I became a professional entertainer and played guitar and pubs and parties and the National Gong Show just because I could. And then I found myself training as a coach and becoming one of the leaders in the world, I would think at that time, in training coaches, created a coach training school. That's how I got into coaching and I've never left it. I did have a foray into online marketing and creating digital products and building the email list up to 150,000 people. But I keep coming back to how can I help you get more out of your life so that on your deathbed, you can say, I gave it everything. I have zero regrets and I love the life that I'm living. And 
there are a lot of people that are doing life coaching, but I tend to work with people who want not just their life to be better, but they want their business or their career to also really rock. So I'm a bit of a generalist that handles both those areas. Well, it kind of brings in that analytical piece of you as well when you have to look at the business side of it. So I, that would be a really strong point. Yeah, and I didn't know that going in. I just thought I want to help people with self-expression and deepening connection and having their life be great. I didn't even think I could be a business coach. I hadn't trained as a, as a business coach, but it turns out because I'm a geek, and um, I'm such a geek for systems that it was a natural progression for me to start asking questions about their business systems. And so now, um, and now that I've had 20 years being an entrepreneur myself, I can ask the right questions to help them uh, up-level business. But again, if that's all you want, don't come to me because there are lots of good business coaches too. I like handling people who want, they want both. I want more more success in business and career, but also let's have my life be great. Yep. Yeah, you don't I don't think you want to trade one for the other. Right. right. Yeah, it let's just, have it all. It, why not? Why not have it all? So listen, I want to get back to why we really connected in the first place, and that's to talk about you as an evangelist for tough conversations. And can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that. And then I have some specific questions for you. Yeah. Well, it, it was partly a marketing thing. I've been drawn to tough conversations for 20 years. And I think it's because of the personal growth background. They kept coaching me and encouraging me to clean up anything in my life that wasn't wonderful. And, you know, like even to the extent of calling the, the bully from school 35 years ago, and saying, um, and, and just completing that relationship, right? I hated that guy. And I said, I'm not doing that. You're crazy. But they'd coach me and help me work out what I was afraid of and what might be possible out of it. And finally, I went and did those scary conversations. And I found that each time I have one of those conversations, I'm a bit less afraid in the world. I feel a bit more confident about myself. I get to express myself. And then sometimes I get an external result that's really good. Like I created this amazing connection with that bully. He ended up inviting me to his house and, and we got to hang out. It was extraordinary. You might get a promotion or get the partner of your dreams or get that sale that you want or have someone stop bugging you because you're willing to risk being vulnerable and have that tough conversation. So I understand why people run from them. I, I, I get it. It can be uncomfortable and there's, we're risking loss. But if you're willing to look for the upside, which the brain isn't very good at presenting us, if you're willing to look at the upside, I find roughly nine times out of 10, it was worth rolling the dice and having that tough conversation. So it was partly a branding decision. It's one thing to say, I want your life to be great and your business to be great. But for branding, it's helpful to have a specialty. And I found my specialty is, is helping with those, those tough conversations. So this, I have a question about the bully, which you may or may not actually have the information to answer. But I'm curious, did he remember it in the same way that you did? Did like when you connected with him, did he go, oh, yeah, I totally remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And pretty much bullies a strong word. It was just more, he said, you know, I feel like we had a competition going. We were kind of competitive. And uh, I said, yeah, that's right. I just think you were better at it. 
like he would one up me in class. He would make fun of me and everyone would laugh. And so I felt humiliated by him. So bully is a strong word, but it's the easiest word I can find. And he remembered that. And I said, yeah, you were just better at it. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a, sometimes it's good to have a label to be able to at least start it. But I'm curious when we have those conversations for me, when I'm brave enough to have them, which is not all the time, but sometimes what you come away with changes how you perceive things significantly. Yes. I've realized as I keep doing this work that it changes your reality, your view of reality. I coached someone who was interviewing for a job and didn't like how the boss was speaking to her. She didn't feel respected. And her initial inclination, which is very normal, was just to say, I'm not going to take the job and just run. And I coached her through it and she started to open to the possibility of maybe sharing her experience and asking the boss if he'd be willing to change the way he spoke to her. And she went and took a risk and she was blown away. Her reality shifted. This, firstly, on the, on the, on the initial level, he became someone who was open. He was like, show me, tell me how I can uh, address you better. I'd like to learn. So she ended up taking the job. She got a great result. But I believe subconsciously, she's now got to be asking herself if he was more open than I thought, who else could be more open than I thought? So reality actually starts to shift. I, um, this is appropriate because you're a podcast host. I spoke to a podcast host. <clears throat> he interviewed me. And as a gift, I offered a coaching session and he didn't show up for the session. Now, I didn't like that. Um, that was half an hour of my, my time. I'm not going to get back. But what triggered me was when he wrote and said, oh, sorry, that was my mistake. I've adjusted our session to the next week using a booking link. And I didn't like that he'd made an assumption that I was willing to go again instead of asking. And this word adjusted. I'm like, that's not an adjustment. That was a no-show. I want to know that you realize the impact that that had on me. And I'd like, you to, I'd like to feel like you're respecting my time. Now, I nearly swept that under the rug because my concern was he'd think, you're too sensitive, you're too high maintenance, and he'd start bad-mouthing me in the industry and say, that guy's just a jerk. Now, that was my, I thought he might get defensive, but my integrity and my training had me take a risk because I realized I would like a relationship with him, and I wasn't willing to do the session again until I was clear that I felt yeah. my time was respected. So I put all my thoughts into a video and sent him the video and said, look, I'd like to share this. I'd love to, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm doing this as a first pass at it. He had this amazing reaction. He said, can I use that video on my podcast to show how amazing your communication is? Because you're right, I didn't respect your time. I didn't manage that well. I am sorry. I would really appreciate if we reschedule. And now he's gonna come on my podcast. I'm gonna talk about that conversation and play the video. So my reality shifted too. I was like, instead of assuming that people won't be interested, I want to be a stand for maybe they'll be open and we'll have a chat and we'll both get each other's worlds. And the worst case, you'll be proven right, right, that he won't show right. up. It's like, okay, but you will know for sure rather than making up some story in your head that... I'll know is, for sure. Yeah. And... I'll feel better that I spoke up because I had agency. I took responsibility. 
instead of, I always feel small if I don't say what's right for me. And I don't want people to feel like that. So on a touchy-feely question for you, when you say you feel small, where do you feel that in your body? Do you feel it in your body? I'm assuming you do have a sense of it. Well caught. Yeah, that is an assumption. I don't know that I can find it or remember where it is specifically, but I, I have a memory of a, of a slight contraction in my chest. And it's, a, and it's a general feeling like something's off. And I think it comes from when I was a kid and I didn't speak up to bullies and I didn't speak up when I was attracted to girls. I didn't know how to do that. So I just had a lot of angst around not using my voice. And now that I know what it feels like to use my voice, I want everybody to have access to their own voice. I admire that. I do. Um, The reason I asked you that question is it's only been recently where I'm going, oh, I recognize exactly when I feel that energy in that place. It's because I'm neglecting saying something, right? It's because it's more comfortable to be quiet sometimes, but I'm thinking not in the moment it is, but 10 minutes later, you're going to wish you would have spoken up, had agency. Right. Yeah. Well, you raise a good point. I think the question that, that this brings up for me is how does one know that there's a tough conversation waiting to happen? Because the mind won't say, oh, tough conversation. No, the mind will say jerk or the mind will say oh, that doesn't feel good or you're, you're, or you're worthless. Like with this guy not showing up, I just didn't want to do the session. Right. So that was the clue that something's going on. You don't feel good with someone. You're not feeling happy about what's happening or you find yourself complaining to someone else about what's happening, that's your clue that there's a tough conversation that's just just waiting to be addressed. So I like your being able to pull out like what the red flags are, the signals for us that we may be avoiding a tough conversation. How do we frame those conversations? So for instance, like you have a lot of practice. You, so you did this video, which was creative, and you kind of figured out what you wanted to say. But for someone starting out or for someone who just may have so much energy or emotion around it, how do we even get clear about what's essential to communicate and what we expect out of the communication? Yeah, I love that question. And I'm thinking maybe I've been a little remiss. Like, what if I give some examples first so that listeners can relate? That'd be sometimes great. people think, yeah, I don't have any tough conversations. So an example in the workplace, I want you to change your behavior. I need you to improve your performance. I'm worried I'm not performing well enough and I'm worried that uh, I'm not secure in this position. I need to let you go. Something you're doing is bugging me. I screwed up and I want to make it right. Um, or you screwed up. You told me you'd do something and you didn't come through. I want to hold you accountable. Those are some examples of some really common tough conversations in the workplace. And in relationship, very similar. Something you're doing is bugging me. I want something more from you. I have a request. It could be something in the bedroom or I want something less from you in the bedroom. I have a confession. There's something I've been withholding. and I'm worried about how you're going to react to it. So there is some, does that give a bit of That's a, a good laundry list of. Thank you. I'm it, pretty much sure I've heard almost every one of those or have said many of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I came up with the top 10 in those areas and that's, that's from memory. So, so you, you then question was like, maybe I'm going to rephrase it. How do you get clear? Mm-hmm. How do you get clarity? And I, I, I love that question 
it just came to me yesterday. I got clarity about clarity. I realized to the mind, it all looks like a mess. It all looks muddy. It's just, I don't like what's happening, but I don't want to address it because it's going to make waves. They're going to be uncomfortable. They might react badly. Uh, I'm not even sure what I'd say. Like it's a, it's just a mess. So it's natural that you'd not want to have the conversation from a place of mess. So I have a worksheet and it's a free download. If you want, we can give it away uh, on my website. There's a worksheet and then four-step blueprint on how to have the conversation. And the worksheet will ask you things like, who's the person you're having a problem with? What is your hope out of the conversation? Another way of putting that is what could go well? <clears throat> and if you can't find a good hope for the conversation, don't have it. Right? We're not going to, we're not masochists. We just want, don't want to put ourselves through pain and risk loss for nothing, but come up with a hope. Like my hope is that we'll work together better or I'll feel more secure in my job and do a better job or that I'll feel closer to you and our relationship will be stronger. Usually there's something in it for the other person. And then uh, the worksheet will ask you, what's your fear? AKA what could go wrong? And that's you, it's really good for the mind to get present to that. I'm worried about losing my job. I'm worried about you getting upset or calling me oversensitive, or I'm worried about you breaking up with me. And then uh, the worksheet will ask you, what's the issue? So you can write it down, get clear on what your issue is. And then do you have a request? I'm, I'm quite pleased I can remember all these off the top of my head. They're just flowing today. Do you have a request? Because it's one thing to tell someone about your upset. It's another thing to say, this is what I would ask for to direct it in the right direction. And the last question on the sheet is, how might they be viewing this? Like step into their shoes for a moment. What are they looking like? I went to a business partner and I said, I'm frustrated that you guys aren't doing more. I feel like I'm doing a lot and you're not really doing more. Had I completed my own worksheet, I would have asked how could it look from their point of view and I would have seen immediately, they're probably just going along thinking everything's fine. I haven't asked for more. In the meetings, I'm not asking for, for concrete deliverables. So had I put that down on my worksheet, I could have preempted any, any reaction with that. So, and you're probably thinking, David, you just ask for it. We, you know, we're just going along thinking everything's fine. And that would have preempted it. Instead, I did get a negative reaction and someone felt uh, defensive. So that's the worksheet. And then the, there are four steps on how to actually go and have the conversation with your worksheet in your hot little hand. So you take the worksheet with you. So you're yeah. not, yeah. So you're not going not? in. Well, yeah, indeed. Why not? Right. Yeah. I don't go but, to meetings without a notebook. Yeah. Or something to write on. Look, I, I have, I hope I'm proving today. I have a good memory generally. So I can, I can get up on stage and I can give a speech or I, or I can improvise so generally, I don't have to write things down, but there are times when I'll even want to jot down the key pieces to make sure that I cover everything. And for people who don't have a good memory and they're worried about messing it up, take your worksheet. You can even say, I wrote things down so that I don't forget any, anything because this is an edgy subject for me and I want to get it right. People, now people are going to understand you're on your edge a little bit and um, they're probably going to give you more slack and you can actually just check your notes. All right, this is the first thing. Uh, let me just check again. Yeah. Okay. The next thing is I want to mention this. You don't have to pretend that 
it's all just flowing out of your brain. Well, and I don't know for, I know for me, and it may be true for other listeners, that if I'm really emotionally invested in the outcome of something, because when I'm detached from it, I can, I can do, be more like, okay, I remember. But once those emotion kicks in, or you're feeling in a precarious place, maybe I am worried about a job or whatever, your adrenaline goes up. And so no matter how good your memory is, all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, what was I going to say? And That's right. I, it shows such respect to walk in for some, to say, you matter to me. And I've taken the time to think this through. I'm not just coming in here to dump on you. Yeah. And, and maybe you'll model for somebody else how to have a constructive conversation or a tough conversation in their own life. Yeah, it's a really good point about the adrenaline. And this is why it occurs as a mess, I think, to our brains, because we're emotionally charged and we've got some skin in the game. So it's, it's scary and it takes some of our brain offline. Right? We get into fight or flight mode. So this is why, you know, if it's really important, work with a coach to help you get clear. Uh, because I can often, someone will speak about what's happening and I can go straight to the heart of it oh, you're worried what they're going to think about you, or you're worried about this, or you're worried about that. And they go, yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Okay, great. Now we know what that is. We might say that in the conversation. So work with a coach or at least use the worksheet so you can get clarity. And I'll tell you, once you've got clarity, I think your chances of having the conversation go up because you'll be more likely to want to go and have it because now you've got a roadmap. So how have you seen differences in how um, folks from either different industries or countries or even situations use or accept this? So what I'm thinking about is like when you're working with folks in the prison, are you using these same tools and philosophy? Yeah. So do you see a difference there versus someone who's like in a startup business they're like scrambling with or, just, you know, or cultural differences? You know, I don't, and it might be that I have a bias to look for similarities. So I haven't noticed, I mean, the language will be different. Like, like someone in a boardroom probably isn't going to hear, step off, bitch, <laughs> right? They're probably not going to hear that. Whereas in a prison, this is what they tell me someone's going to say as a way of calling them out yeah. and challenging them. But it's the same concept. Someone's still going to challenge you in a boardroom or undermine you or want something from you or you want something from them. It's universal. And I coached someone recently in a prison. Uh, sometimes I do Zoom calls for the inmates. And her issue was she had a CO, which is a corrections officer, showed up late to a shift, showed up 10 minutes late. Now that's not a big deal for the CO, but for her, she had to be somewhere else in the prison at a certain time. She was ordered to be there to pick up some property. She couldn't get there on time. So now she's 10 minutes late to get over to this other part of the prison. And she's getting chewed out by this other officer for being late, who obviously is not going to accept excuses. Well, maybe it's not obvious. So that was just really rough for her. And her question was, how do I have this tough conversation with the CEO? Now, it's not going to be exactly the same in a corporate environment, but you have an authority figure. Yep. You have a boss who has a lot of control over you. How do I say to my boss, what you did had a negative impact on me and I'd like to make a request that you consider that next time. 
So I coached her through it and I haven't, haven't heard what happened because I don't have regular contact with the inmates, but we went through how you could ask, maybe I should run quickly through the four steps. Yeah, let's tough do conversation. that. Yep. So once you, once you, and I, now we can use her, her as an example. So once you've got the worksheet, it's quite easy to run through it. Step one is ask permission. So she might've said something like, uh, excuse me, officer, do you have a couple of minutes for a conversation? I'd like to uh, ask you about something that could make a difference for me. And then she'll share the hope. My hope is you might have a clearer understanding of what it's like to be an inmate and that it might influence what happens in future. Might be something like that. Or that, you know, the, my, my hope is my life might get a little easier if you understand what happened, right? If she gets a yes, you move to step two, which is to share your fear or concern. My fear or concern is you might feel defensive or upset and that that could make my life really hard because you have a lot of power. Step three, share the issue. Uh, When you were late, I got in trouble for being late somewhere else and I got chewed out. And my request is to the extent you're able to, if you could try and make an effort to, to be at your shift on time, I'd be grateful. And if you can't, you can't. Uh, And then step four is to get curious. This is where you want to find out about their world. Like, what's it like to hear that? Do you agree or disagree? Or do you have a better idea? Something else I haven't seen. I'd really like to hear whatever you've got to say. You don't want to create a tough conversation for them. And you don't want to do a tough monologue and run. So this is a chance to find out what they've got. And that's that's the vulnerable vulnerable bit because you can't control that no but that's also the um that willingness and that curiosity is almost the place within for me possibilities are come out yeah you know i mean that space when someone says hey david this is whatever just happened i'm interested in like your response to that or your thoughts about that, sometimes they're just brilliant things that come out that never would have occurred. You know, kudos for the person brave enough to start the conversation, but also to stay curious, not necessarily to take on, especially if the person comes back and starts blaming, you know, but to at least be open to a different um, reality. And sometimes we find other people's humanity in there too. It's like, I would have been on time, but did you, I might, two-year-old son felt you know whatever we don't know right we just never know what's happening in other people's lives yeah and this is tricky for me because I'm I'm a control freak so I want to wrap it all up in a bow and just kind of like say what I want and then get what I want and then leave and it's an afterthought you know like I kind of need the checklist to say how is it for you? In fact, I forgot it with a business partner recently. We were modeling this on a, on a Zoom call as I run a free Zoom call every week where people can come and, and get help on their tough conversations. And I, I brought up something with her and then I felt like we'd addressed it. And I said, all right, well, I guess it's, I guess it's not a big deal. Not, not really a tough conversation. I'd missed step four. She was feeling guilty. She was feeling like a little shamed about what I'd brought up and, and, and beating herself up. And fortunately, someone else on the call spotted it and said, David, why did you assume that this isn't a bit tough conversation for her? I was like, wow, you caught me. So I asked the question and she got to share that and we got to, to resolve that. 
for her. That's um. So this is a little off, but sometimes when people do things that you're thinking, I can't believe they just did X, Y, or Z. A couple of years ago, I started like making up a story in my head, especially this is really helpful when you're driving and people are just are jerks on the road ahead of you. And I'm thinking, what the heck? I just think, and then I, my husband said, you do this all the time. I go, I know. Someone will do that, be close to an accident, almost, you know, cutting people off. And I just say, I really hope they don't have a child or a loved one in the hospital they're rushing to. And he goes, why would you think that? I said, it's better than thinking what I want to think. I'm giving them space because if they realized how much they put other people at risk right then, I would also have to assume they don't care. And I don't want that worldview. Yeah. So you're creating a better story. At least for me, I want to feel better. But I think even in relationships, when one-on-one business relationships, if in the moment it's uncomfortable, starting with at least assuming there might be a better story than the one I'm running in my head is helpful. And I really like your framework for doing that to be able to go, you know, what is it I need or want to share? What happens when people don't get what they want back, David? Does that happen like where people have these this is what I hope. And the yeah. first thing they go, the hope is dashed. Yeah, for sure. You know, sometimes it's going to be a train wreck. But I don't think that's necessarily bad because now it's out in the open and you, often you can get around two. Or maybe, maybe you should have some space from each other for a few weeks, right? The mind thinks it knows how it's going to go. As Byron Katie says, who needs God when we have your opinion? <laughs> I, I did it. I my, one of my worst conversations, and and I really tried. I got coaching before I did it. I had a conversation. There was someone who was invited to my birthday party, and I wasn't keen on her coming. But I'd invited a whole group of people, and I would have had to specifically uninvite her, and that would have been awkward. So I decided to have a conversation with her and make a request. My request is: you bear in mind it's my birthday party. Sometimes I feel like you can take a lot of attention in the room and I'd like it to be my show. So would that be okay with you? In the end, she didn't come. So I kind of didn't get what I wanted because I wanted her to feel empowered and be on board. I was hoping she'd say, totally get it. I can't believe you said something, but I'm impressed that you did. Just give me a signal. If I'm doing my thing, I want this to be your night. Like I was hoping for that. No, didn't happen. But even then, I think, what did happen is probably appropriate. Appropriate. She decided not to come. She let me know, said that doesn't feel good to me, so I'm not going to come. So I got to have a great night. We haven't spoken since, but we weren't friends. We were just colleagues and I don't need to be related. So hopefully one day we'll, we'll end up connecting and maybe there'll be some value for both of us. But I'm, I think that was what was appropriate. So you may not get what you want, but you will have that feeling I predict that sense of confidence and agency that comes from knowing I spoke up and I went for this. I told my boss, I thought there was a better way to do it. Or I told my partner, I did something wrong and I'm sorry. And she's mad at me. Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe she should be mad at me for a while. And I'm going to get to be with that. Yeah. You won't always get what you, what you want, but nine times out of 10 in my experience, it's worth it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the times that I've thought it wasn't worth it, and they are very few. I have very a lot few. of trouble find, yeah. finding any time I brought up, um, okay, 
I did think of one. It's, it's a tease because I can't share the details of it. It's a little too personal. But there was one where I, I brought up something. I, I, uh, I, I told the truth and it caused such repercussions that in hindsight, I wish I hadn't. So that can happen. And you know, to give you a great example, I was in Bali. See, I used to think that you should have every tough conversation and you should tell the truth 100% of the time. That's like when I found truth, I was an evangelist for it. I thought this is the only way to be. But two years ago, I was in Bali and I was uh, rented a villa and I sublet the guest villa, which was great for me because it covered my rent. You can't do that. That's illegal in Bali. And I knew that was illegal, but I was willing to risk a fine and deportation if I ever got caught. Every, everybody seemed to be doing it. I just figured I wouldn't get caught. And then one day this guy shows up with a badge at my villa and says, you're wanted for questioning the next morning. Now that's a tough conversation. And I started doing some research to find out, because remember um, question two or three on the worksheet is what's at risk? What could go wrong? And what could go wrong, it turned out, was a big fine, maybe as big as $70,000, deportation. And this is what really got me, jail time. They could hold me in jail while I'm waiting for a hearing and I said to my lawyer, how long would that be? And he said, it depends. Mm. I'm like, whoa, I'm not doing it depends. So I spoke to another lawyer who said, I would leave the country and not have that tough conversation, dismantle everything, come back in three months, it'll all blow over. So there's an example of when I decided that was a tough conversation I didn't want to have. I didn't think that there was going to be profit in the conversation. Uh, now, the downside is... I lost my home and, uh, you know, I was living there with a, a cat and friends and furniture and a whole lifestyle. Now I'm in another country, but the, there wasn't profit there. So I really encourage people to do the worksheet, look at the gain, look at the risk, and you make a decision. Am I willing to risk that? If I enter the US, let's suppose I've entered the US so many times without a green card. Now I have one. But if I enter the US and they say, are you going to work in the U.S., Mr. Wood? No, I'm not going to work in the U.S. I don't want to have that tough conversation and practice my integrity with immigration and be turned around and sent back to Australia. It's not noble. I'm not proud of it, but I don't want to have that tough conversation. Now I don't have that issue because I have a green card, but I've just realized there are times you may decide I'm not going to have that tough conversation. But too many people are sweeping them under the carpet. We've gone too far in that direction. Again, nine times out of 10, I'm saying, I think you'll find it worth it. And I want to reiterate something you said earlier. If you're not sure, it's a good time to reach out to someone and get maybe some feedback or coaching on this. Like if you do the worksheet and then you go, I'm still ambivalent. I'm just not sure either if I should, or if the answer is yes, how to proceed. You don't have to do it on your own. You can get help. Yeah, and I do that. Like I consider myself an expert and I will call a friend and say, I want to get clear on this. Let me talk it out. This is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking. And they may turn me around and say, you're being an idiot. You know, you should apologize. Or they, they give me a different point of view. So call a friend or come to my free call. Fridays at two o'clock Eastern, you register at the website and join the Zoom call. We'll role play it so that you can go back totally empowered. In fact, I'll be you 
on the call, once I know what the situation is, I'll be you and I'll have the conversation and you get to be the other person, be it your partner or your boss or your kid and give me a hard time. Say everything you're worried that the other person might say and you get to see how someone else would deal with it. Uh, I record it, send you the video so that you can watch it a couple of times and go, wow, I, I just would not have thought of seeing that. Or I see you said it with dignity. You didn't fight. You were just, just were, were present. You know, people get a lot out of watching this. So that's a good place to ask where people should find, reach out to you, find you. Can you talk about your websites where they can download the um, tool and get on connected to the um, Zoom calls? Yeah, thank you. I'll give you one web link and I have three invitations, if I may. And they're all the same, all the same link. The web link is playforreal.life. It's not .com, it's .life. So playforreal.life. And uh, you can download the four-step blueprint for free. You can join my podcast, which is new. I'm quite, I'm a proud father of a baby podcast called Tough Conversations with David Wood. So subscribe if you like. And if something in this interview resonated with you and you're thinking, I do want to up-level my life and my business or career, see if you qualify for a free discovery session. If you qualify, I don't charge for the session and I'll create a plan with you. And if it feels right to both of us, we'll talk about setting up coaching. And if not, at least you'll have a plan. So that's all at the same link, playforreal.life. That's really generous. And we will put that link in the show notes also. So my last question for you as a new daddy of a podcast. Yes. What has been something surprising or unexpected that you've gained or learned in the process of starting your podcast? Well, aside from how much work it is, I have had my eyes open to like a hidden benefit of having a podcast. I thought podcasts were about reaching people and and getting downloads and getting more exposure and then maybe getting advertising and getting leads and like that. And someone pointed out to me, he's almost sole reason for a podcast is to build relationships. And since he said that, I've started realizing I want to connect with this person. I love what they're doing. Oh, wait, I could interview them. Or uh, the chief people officer at Zillow. I, I love what he's been doing with Zillow. And I'm like, wait, I, if it was just me saying, can I have a chat about it? I think they're less likely to say yes. But if I say I've got a podcast and Byron Katie and Jack Canfield have been on the podcast, can I interview you? More of a chance of a yes. And then I can build the relationship. Um, I reached out to, this is crazy. I've gotten into audiobooks in the last few years. I love listening to audiobooks. And there's one, one of my favorite books is called The Name of the Wind. And I've listened to it three times. And the narrator is so good. I went looking for other books by this narrator just to hear his voice. It's so comforting. I reached out to him a couple of weeks ago and said, I've never reached out to a narrator, but damn, you're good. And I want to thank you and acknowledge you for the, the 200 hours I've listened to your voice. And then I thought, wait a minute, I could interview him. That'd be amazing for me to interview him. So he said in the new year, he might be open to it. And also Tim Minchin, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a celebrity. He's a, one of the most amazing comedians who's doing some good for the planet. And he's also just recently got this massive role on um, Californication. 
And I was like, I, I, I miss him. I, I used to know him before he was famous. And he probably wouldn't be up for just a general catch up chat, but I figure he'd be more open to an interview. And I did get an email back from the production assistant who said, I've sent it on and we'll see what he says. I don't know if I'll get it. But even if I approach 10 or 20 people like that, including Alan Alder, who I really want to connect with, and I get one or two of them to say, yes, the whole podcast will be worth it. Well, it's so great because podcasting makes you reach beyond like, you like just like you're saying, you know, like, oh, I'd like to learn from this person or hear from that person. So, and I just recently had a young woman reach out to me who's starting a podcast and wanting some information. I'm thinking, you know, part of it's like, why do you do it? And I'm going, because I have an insatiable desire to learn from other people. And it's an easy avenue to say, will you share? Yeah. And you get, and it is about relationship building. So on that note, I just want to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. I like what you're all about on your tough conversations. I wished I'd met you in my twenties. That's a lovely thing. I might've had a fewer, fewer bruised knees on the road to humility and saying, whoops. So, and had some conversations sooner than later. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for saying yes. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.